our population might not be vast, but I think there are still really pockets of um, opportunities that we can seize. And it really is a place where, um, you know, you're not going to come here and expect to build something that will make you the billions. You know, it's, it's, it's really a place where, and I see this with a lot of expats that come here, it's really like they are done with the city life and they want to retreat to a place where they can build a work-life balance, uh, if there's still such a thing, but a work-life balance and just take it easy, take a slower route, you know? And we have some world-class talents here that are just done with like, you know, their work in Seoul and Korea or in other places in the world and said, okay, I'm going to move somewhere where I can have a better peace of mind and a better space and environment for my mental health. Thanks for joining us on the, or joining me on the Borderless podcast today. I really appreciate it. Um, as I mentioned before, obviously, I'm, um, you know, sort of contacting people across Southeast Asia and Laos was an interesting one for me because, first of all, I found it very difficult to find someone um, <laughs> that has, you know, that wasn't born in the country and that had decided to return to Laos, you know, a country which is, you know, less than, you know, or around 7 million people. It's always had a reputation of being, you know, maybe one of the poorest poorer nations in Southeast Asia. So yeah, I reached out okay. to you to sort of see, you know, your story, because it looked quite interesting, you know, you sort of, you know, born in Malaysia and, you know, yeah. sort of decided to go back and pursue entrepreneurship as well. So that, that was interesting. So maybe before we get into all that, maybe just give the audience a bit of an introduction to, you know, who you are and what you do. Yeah, Sean, thanks for having me. I mean, it's great uh, to, to, to be given the opportunity to show a little bit more about Laos and myself. Uh, my name is Benjamin. Most people know me by Ben. Um, I was born in Malaysia, uh, but my mom is Lao, so I'm actually half Lao, and hence uh, part of the reason why I'm back here in Laos. So yeah, I've, I've kind of moved back and forth from Malaysia and Laos um, because, and back then, because there weren't any direct flights in from KL, uh, most of the time we would have to transit maybe Bangkok. Back then, those were the good old days. Sometimes so we don't have enough money, we would um, take a train from KL pass all the way to Thailand and then um, straight into Laos from that, uh, that way. Uh, but yeah, it's, 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 been a, it's been a great journey. Um, and what I do here, I run two businesses. So one is a construction company. Uh, it's, it's called Modern Lao Homes. You can search it up on Facebook. Uh, we basically do home construction here in Laos uh, into, uh, to international standards. Uh, my business partner is actually Australian. So we came here, we, we thought about, um, you know, what, we could do um, as far as business goes. And we saw that there's a lot of land and um, this, the style of um, real estate and construction here is that a lot of people have land, um, but they don't necessarily buy into like the, um, you know, you would see in Malaysia or a lot of other places, they have the residential developments where, you know, it's almost identical houses and you can renovate it to however way you want and people would just buy it in droves. But here is a little bit more different because here they have lands and you know, probably given to them by their um, grandparents or their parents. And then they come to us and they said, okay, we have this parcel of land. Can you build a house according to what we want um, on this land? Things like that. And that's the first business. Second business is an Australian import-export company. So we bring in our products and goods basically mainly from Australia uh, into Laos and just expanded to Thailand, um, selling things on Lazada and mostly on supermarkets uh, here in, in Laos as well. But yeah. That's that's probably too long of an introduction, but <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's perfect. I was going to say there's yeah. a small world because obviously I'm I'm based in Australia and you have Australian, you know, you yeah. have Australian business partner and you're doing, yeah, yeah. you know, importing and exporting, you know, Aussie goods, which is quite yeah, quite, yeah, quite yeah. funny for you know a region like Laos. So what, what sort yeah. of led you down the entrepreneurial path? Yeah, um, so 
growing up, I saw I grew up in Malaysia, and on, when I was fifteen or actually sixteen, when I was sixteen, uh, my parents decided, okay, we're moving to Laos. So basically, we packed the car. We we, we just packed all our luggage, put in the car, and we drove from Malaysia to Laos. They <laughs> just like basically uprooted all of us, um, put all our stuff in the into the into the SUV, and then just you know drove us to Laos. And my dad, um, yeah, basically. Was working in construction as well, but he was working for a Japanese company. Um, yeah, so he he's working uh, full time, well, doing contracts for uh, for a Japanese company there here. And um, basically, I stayed here for about two more years to finish my high school. I went back to Malaysia for university, and then um, came back to Laos right after I graduated from from uh, from my business degree. But I think a lot of my entrepreneurial I don't know, trades are this aspiration to be an entrepreneur form when I was in Malaysia, especially during my my college days. But before that, before the college days, I think what drove and inspired me to want to be an entrepreneur was seeing the state of how Laos was at that time. Poverty was rampant. Like poverty, you see on the streets. Like you you walk to get groceries, and it, it actually happened to me. Like when I was walking in, in the middle of town to get uh, groceries from a store. I just saw um, this this lady, uh, you know, walking and carrying, just holding the, the hand of a child, and she was walking. And the child was like just clothless, like she was she was naked, walking in the street, and that just broke me. Like that just like you know really stirred this compassion and just this desire to really want to do stuff for them, to want to help them, to want to create jobs for them. And I think that really birthed this desire to want to go into this entrepreneurial route. Like I thought maybe. Maybe let's let's start with the social enterprise. Mm. So internet social, you know, enterprise. Try to try to see if that really works out. But I didn't quite feel that it it it, it would drive the impact that I wanted to drive. So I, yeah, uh, I kind of went on this whole soul searching uh, period, like in my college, just understanding about entrepreneurship, just understanding there's like the social enterprise, and all these different different facets. And um, at that point, especially when you're young and in college, right, you're trying to look for an extra buck. So you, you know, I got involved into like all this insurance and into MLM and all these, you know, all these different things. At one point, I was doing forex, and that I think gave me the the business traits. I would say, like to to really know how to be thick face, as the Asians call it, like you know, thick face when it comes to business deals, thick face, or uh, learning how to be shameless in in the way we approach. Uh, different things. So I think that really formed uh, my perspective towards like, okay, what kind of business that I want to build? I've learned from all the mess and all the mistakes that I've done. So that kind of put me on this entrepreneurial route. But yeah, I still remember like the the main reason why I want to go into this because was because I saw the poverty that was here. And constantly in my mind, I was thinking like, okay, what what can I do? Like, should I create a job for this person? Should I, you know, donation doesn't really work because they come back again the next day. Like, what, mm. what can we do? You know, so that I think that was the main motivation of what stirred me into the right direction and um there's a very short story uh i was i was i was doing my internship in hilton in kl back when i was in college um so i was doing my, my internship in, in hilton and i was placed uh, on housekeeping duty for that day and i was basically the janitor right i was i was i was you know sweeping the floor of this grand convention um meeting hall this meeting space that they have in hilton kl and um, Watson's, uh, the pharmacy, is like a huge pharmacy uh, company. They were having their event there, and they were doing like a pre, uh, um, what do you call it, like a pre-show, like a pre-thing. Like they were preparing the whole thing, the whole space up. And I just saw um, just the scale of what Watson's was. Like they had this annual party for the staff, and I just saw the amount of people that they were going to 
bring in to fill this room, all the employees and all their staff. And, you know, as I was sweeping the floor, it's not glamorous for the janitor work, just, you know, vacuuming the floor and stuff. When I saw that, that gave me a picture of like, wow, like I want to be like Watson's one day. I want to create jobs for hundreds and thousands of people that could ultimately, and, you know, uh, just, just change the course of a lot of families and a lot of people's lives just by creating a job and enabling them to provide food for the table for the family. So mm. yeah, that's, that's just what um, drove that motivation and passion for me you know, yeah. to start. Yeah, this that's great. Yeah. yeah. Now I like your story because obviously first of all, you did a variety of things just to try to figure out, you know, yeah. <laughs> what you liked and what you didn't like <laughs> and you know how to do things. I think that's really a great mindset to have. Um, and obviously the second big thing is that you, you're not purely driven by the the money aspect. You had a sort of, you know, social enterprise mind to it as well. You know, being able to you know, help others is obviously a big factor in your life. So, you know, I really, really like that story part of you. You know, was there other businesses that you started before, like the current ones? That, and like, you know, what do you learn out of that, I guess, specifically? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the thing is, when I was, when I graduated high school here in Laos, the, the education, the high school um, qualifications wasn't recognized when I went back to Malaysia. Mm. So they basically told me like, hey, you only got one credit. Uh, we don't recognize your high school report card. Uh, the only way you can enter our university is if you take this course, which only takes one credit, which is hospitality management, which is certificate in hospitality management. So my journey in college and throughout university was a rather long one. I took like, I don't know, six years just to graduate, um, just to get my degree in international business. And because of that, when I came back to Laos, um, as I was just serving what to do, um, I took over a failing French business, like a French restaurant. Um, so it was a French restaurant and I, I'm, I'm a foodie, right? I mean, as typical Malaysian, you know, Malaysian, every Malaysian is foodie. Uh, but I took over a failing French um, restaurant and I turned it into like a fine dining uh, French restaurant. And I brought, you know, I brought in my friend who was from Malaysia and he is like a Michelin star chef kind of thing. He was, he worked in a few Michelin star restaurants. So that was the first business that I actually ventured into in Laos. It was also the first, in the first year, we we, track, we got a lot of attention and a lot of um, reputation for that. Very, very good reviews. But because of how the economic, um, the, the economy of Laos changed, um, the political thing changed and everything like that, it affected our business. And sadly, we had to close it in a year uh, because it was just not making money at all. And a population of 7 million people uh, mm. and not a very big middle class. It's very, very hard to sustain. So that was really like, you know, that, that, turning point for me. I was like, I mean, I thought of it, I came here to do the business and the first business that I did failed. And I, th I think that would be a, a, something to talk about, I guess, later in your, as we talk about, uh, you know, just some stories uh, later on. But but yeah, that was the first business um, that that I, I embarked on. And I learned a lot from that. That was the first business and I failed at that. That taught me a lot of things. I was very, very close to creating and thought maybe the entrepreneurial life is not for me. But lo and behold, I got this opportunity to meet this Australian guy. And we thought, okay, I mean, since we have this land and we're building houses, what if you offer this service to like, you know, build international quality houses and uh, internationally beautifully designed modern houses for people here. And that really took off. Like we started with zero capital, literally zero dollars. Wow. And we just like market our service on Facebook. Here, you know, Facebook is predominantly used. So we market on Facebook and say, hey, if you want an international quality standard um, looking house, uh, contact us uh, for a consultation and then uh you know that's that's really how we got our business off the ground okay. and now well. yeah we've got yeah, tons of houses that we're building because people just basically referred us and uh and most most of our contacts uh clients has been expats that are living here 
you have no experience in construction previously. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Why, why, yeah. How did that all happen? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, <laughs> honestly, Sean, like when the, the first few months of running this construction business, I had no clue at all. Like only, I only have my dad as a, like, a referral point because he, he was in, he is in construction. So, but other than that, I'm lost. Like I, I have this anxiety all the time of like, what if the, the house that we built falls on the, the customers or something like, what would happen to me? You know, I'll be in jail. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just such a dodgy thing to do. Yeah. Um, so I met Greg uh, through my dad, actually. So my dad um, just kind of matches up because he, he, my dad was doing more of like the civil engineering kind of stuff. Mm. He was doing the big, the big things. And Greg, uh, my business partner, basically came in to the picture. He was, we were introduced and said, um, okay, if there's something that we can do, it's just, let's just, you know, just talk about it and see what is there, an opportunity or something. So that's, that's how we kind of got match. And then we didn't really think too much about it because I was still running my, my restaurant business at the time. But after a few meetings with Greg, I'm like, hey, that's 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 an opportunity there. Like, let's try it out, you know. Um, because the economy was bad, I failed my first business. I had to close the business, so I was open to anything. So we started a construction thing. We try it out, see how it goes. Greg has some experience flipping houses in, in Australia. He has experiences renovating houses, but he is not also full time based in the, in the engineering thing like he's not an engineer he's a pilot he, he, he used to have a printing yeah. business in, in, in australia okay. so we both have no clue and we really you know if you go to the very definition of entrepreneur an entrepreneurship entrepreneur is basically someone who just takes all these different different components and just bring it all together create something so that's what we really did we did like a really guerrilla style entrepreneurship where we just okay we, we're not we're not engineers ourselves let's bring an engineer to a team let's bring an architect people who are smarter than us bring to a team, just create something. And we, we, we did the first house. We lost money in the first house because, you know, we, we, we just can't, we, we, we just don't want to mess up. Right. We have only this, this first shot and one in the first impression, we got to do it right. And because we did right, it was rewarded to us because that customer referred us to two, three other people. And that's how we really build our name for ourselves. So yeah, the power referrals, man. That's, that's yeah, really, wow. uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you just never know, right? Like, you just, it's I find like a lot of interviews I've done is just you know someone they met with someone else, you know, out yeah, of, you know yeah. out of luck or whatever or through a connection, and then just something happens, and then yeah, you just never know, right? So it's just, yeah, 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 absolutely. Just um, give things a shot, and you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, why don't, why don't you just go straight into the business itself, like you know, yeah. just tell us you know what it is, and you know what what you envision for the future as well for that for that business. For this business, uh, yeah. the, the current one. Okay, yeah, yeah so. Um, so yeah, the construction thing was the main, the first business after my restaurant business that we went into and it was, it was stable. It was steady for, for a bit and COVID hit. Um, but the, the second one, Venetia was what it's called. Um, the industrial import export company basically came, uh, was birthed because we were feeling a need that our construction business was missing. So we found out that there are a lot of construction materials that we can't, can't really find here and in Laos. So we thought, let's bring it from Bunnings. Sean, you would be familiar with Bunnings. <laughs> we bring it from Bunnings. So we bring a lot of like uh, uh, cornices and different wood and, and doors and things like that. We were filling this container and we had a lot of space left in the container. So we thought like, you know, what if we fill it with other stuff that we can sell from Australia? Since, you know, it'll be such a waste to just bring in like a half-filled container. What if we bring in, fill in other things? So we've packed the, the thing out with like, you know, goodies, some Allen's National Confectionaries, Tim Tams and things like that, sodas. And we bring in uh, and, and uh, different tools, bring in. 
thinking, what if we try to sell it here in Laos? Uh, because there's quite a big expat population. Uh, and it worked. I mean, it took a while to, to grow and it worked. And then after that, we expanded to Thailand, um, trying to sell it through Lazada because you know COVID and things like that. We can't cross over the border. And it worked as well because Thailand has like one of the biggest Australian populations, uh, expat populations in Southeast Asia. Uh, my uh, ambitions and like vision going forward is we hope to expand and really bring in a lot more Australian goods um, in Thailand to Malaysia, Singapore, and things like that. Because I think there's a great need for Aussie meats and uh, Aussie confectionaries. We see like, you know, Tim Tam such so popular like, in Southeast Asia. So we do see a market there. We're not going to bring in throws of different stuff, but we're going to find things that works and just try to supply it to Southeast Asia or Vietnam, Cambodia, hopefully expand it uh, to, to places like that there. Construction-wise, I think, you know, it's just saturated. Um, there's so many great construction companies already in Southeast Asia. So we're not going to compete on that front, but we will compete on the, the, the things that we can uh, be good at. And I think that's really in the Australian import-export stuff. Okay, cool. No, that's really fascinating, yeah. just that your whole journey so far and obviously that Aussie connection. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, and maybe I, I just want to go into the landscape of Laos now. Um, obviously, yeah. you mentioned that, um, you know, it's only population 7 million. Um, the niche that you have is probably more targeted towards expats, you know, maybe yeah. upper class income, upper income um, families in Laos. Obviously, it hasn't attracted much attention generally. Like yeah. I'm in the VC startup space. Like you always talk yeah, about, yeah. you know, you got Singapore, you got Philippines, you got Indonesia. That's the big, yeah. big giants in terms of startup VC world. Like no one talks about yeah. Laos, right, or Cambodia, any of those countries. So yeah, what what's yeah. the attraction of Laos if there is any from your perspective? Yeah, I, I think that um, you really hit the nail on the head right there. Like, because I think Laos is not really an attractive investment opportunity for a lot of VCs or a lot of investments because. Uh, infrastructure is not really there yet and the population is really small compared to what you get in Cambodia and Vietnam. There's a lot of excitement going on there. But I truly believe and, and a lot of us, and I think a lot of our experts, not a lot, but a few other experts have been saying the same thing like uh, Laos is kind of like the, the the last frontier of like the Southeast Asian, if that makes sense. Like that is, Laos is like the uncharted place left in the Southeast Asia, at least that to my perspective, it's like the last uh, uncharted place in Southeast Asia when it comes to like, you know, different investments and opportunities and things like that. So when the hype in Vietnam or Myanmar and Cambodia does die down, the next other possible space is, is Laos, right? And although we don't have the population or the infrastructure yet to really host um, the investments that will come in for the startups and for the tech, there are spaces, pocket spaces for innovation that can take place. For example, like we have one of the most arable lands, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, one of the, you know, we have more arable land than there is in Malaysia, for example, right? And and there's a lot of opportunities there for agri-tech. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be like meditech or uh, things that you would necessarily want to do in Malaysia or Singapore, but things like agri-tech, things like edu-tech, edu, edu you know, educational uh, technology, that that is an opportunity that can be seized here because, you know, think about it. There's a lot of in, uh, international NGOs, there's a lot of development agencies that are here solving the needs and solving the problems. And what's the point of startups? Like, that it really is to solve problems and um, challenges that are in society, whether it be in agriculture or in education or in e-commerce and things like that. So I do think that there are niche startup pockets that are uh, that that just present a lot of opportunities here because of the the ver a lot of the vast arable land that's here. And also because I think one of the plus points now is now that we have the railway station um, connecting China to Laos to Thailand, where you can get to, to 
into China in like five hours or less. I think that that really presents a really great opportunity for trade, even though we're a landlocked area. So there are opportunities there. Our population might not be vast, but I think there are still really pockets of um, opportunities that we can seize. And it really is a place where, um, you know, you're not going to come here and expect to build something that will make you the billions. You know, it's, it's, it's really a place where, and I see this with a lot of expats that come here. It's really like they are done with the city life and they want to retreat to a place where they can build a work-life balance, uh, if that's a, still such a thing, but a work-life balance and just take it easy, take a slower route, you know? And we have some world-class talents here mm. that are just done with like, you know, their work in Seoul and Korea or in other places in the world and said, okay, I'm going to move somewhere where I can have a better peace of mind and a better space and environment for my mental health. Okay. So I think that is really like a plus point, I think, for Laos. And yeah, it's just a beautiful blend of all these people and opportunities here. Okay, great. Yeah, no, it's great to hear. I guess yeah. going on to that point about expats and so forth, um, what's that landscape like as well? Is that, are you seeing many? Are you seeing more expats coming in? Like, what sort of expats actually do come to Laos? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a it's a blessing and curse, really. Like the expat <laughs> community here is, I would I would say it's like a revolving door. I'm not sure if it's the same as other countries, but probably the same. But I think in Laos we feel it more so because a lot of the expats come here on contract jobs, as most do expats do. Like, but here it feels that like because they are here for international development work, like INGOs, UN, UNICEF kind of thing. Mm. They're really here for like a few years and then they're they're off, you know? So a lot of me and the people and my friends are just sad because like, you know, we have, we meet these amazing people because they are people that will come here to help people, you mm. know, like to, yeah. to help and to really uh, develop the country. And then in a few years, we have to say goodbye to them. And uh, yeah, that's just the nature of it here. But we do have a big population of um, older um, age expats who come here to retire. Mm. Um, so we do have that as well. We have people coming here, you know, they may be from like Italy or from France and they bring in, they, they were a chef in the country and they came in with their, you know, beautiful recipes and things like that. So we have this melange of like all this beautiful culture and people who are bringing the skill sets into Laos that maybe may not have been maxim, uh, fully tapped into uh, yet uh, by the people here. But I think we do have a, a group of people who are more, um, retired, who are here, who want to settle down in life here because it's a more easy and slow life. I mm. wouldn't say that in terms of cost of living that it's cheaper than Malaysia or Thailand, but I still think that's a little bit more expensive. But yeah, you do get the slow life and you know, the easy life here. I think that's that's one of the main things that attracted them to this country. Gotcha. And when you say more expensive, that's just in terms of because it's a landlocked country, you need to import a yes. lot of foreign goods. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. I guess maybe from someone who is interested in the country for whatever reason, what, what would an expect expect like going to like to be realistic going to Laos? Um, you know, which obviously which city should they look at and what should they expect uh, in terms of if they're from like a, a country like Australia or France, like is it gonna be like a huge culture shock? Like what what's yeah, just bring us through that. We got a lot of Aussies here too, Sean. Um uh, we a lot of them they would uh so Laos is like it's it's a lot of places are untouched or not so untouched but there, there are still like you know logging and things going on here but there are a lot of places here that are just hidden gems like I, i've heard of stories and i hear this a lot like people come here and they find their life calling here like for for work back home so they, mm. they come here for a retreat they come here to just get away from stuff to be with nature and we have a lot of like natural of uh, ecotourism spots here that, that is really truly beautiful like waterfalls caves and things like that 
And people would come here and they would feel refreshed, rejuvenated. Some of them would find their life calling mission and then go back to the country and just, you know, continue on. So I do get some comments or remarks about that. Um, my suggestion would be uh, one of the one of my favorite cities to go to is Long Prabang. It's up in the north. And it's like this very, very charming town. Um, uh, I think they got its, their UNESCO heritage um, label, things like that. And a uh, very, very charming town. Um, it, it's kind of like this city nestles around, uh, nestled in between the Mekong River and uh, the hills. Uh, it's a very, very beautiful, beautiful uh, place that a lot of uh, foreigners go to. Vientiane, where I'm staying right now, the capital, is kind of like the transit spot. Like a lot of people will fly into Vientiane and then they'll fly out. They will go to Lampa Bang or they will get a car um, and head up north, things like that. Uh, Vang Vien is a popular spot as well. Uh, believe it or not, our capital here is just about half an hour away from Thailand. So it's really close to the Thai border. Um, so we do get a lot of Thai tourists and it's really easy to kind of transit into Thailand. And uh, yeah, we're also landlocked. So that means we're connected to China, um, to Vietnam uh, as, as well. So we have a lot of border points. But yeah, I think as for tourists, when they come here, it's really just to enjoy the nature. If nature is not your thing, then probably Laos is not. It's a very, very hard place to be in. Uh, I do have a lot of city friends who come here and like get done. Like after three days, they're done. <laughs> you know, like there's nothing else to see. But for those who really like nature, to be in nature, um, I think that this is really a spot that they will really like. Especially if you like coffee, like this, this, there are coffee plantations here as well that they uh, will be able to enjoy. Mm. Uh, tell us more about where you're living. Is it Vien? Is it Vientiane? Is it how you say it? Vientiane. Yeah, um, locally, locally we will, we would say Vientiane, but then um, internationally, we know it's Vientiane. So yeah, Vientiane, yeah, Vientiane. So that's the capital. Um, I think we've got about two hundred fifty plus thousand um top, uh, people living here in this in this main capital, um, and this is where all the main offices are: the UN, the NGOs, uh, the main government offices, all here. Uh, so yeah, we are, we 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 are expecting to have our first Starbucks opening soon here oh, wow. uh, in a in a few months. Um, that's that's probably an insult to uh, you Australians. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, where we then there's there's no KFC is not here yet. McDonald's not here yet. Um, but we do have like you know um, Texas chicken. Not too sure if that's a thing. Yeah, Texas chicken, Swenson's ice cream. Yeah, I mean it's it's, it's a growing city. Like you you come by every year and it, it just changes really fast. So it, it just changes so rapidly here, uh, and then, and it's and it's really uh, cool to see. So yeah, Vincent changes every year. So it, it's really just at its pace where it's just growing really fast. Hmm. In terms yeah. of startups. Um... In Laos, are you seeing like obviously we talk about a lot about you know tech startups and reaching a billion dollar unicorn status and so forth. Yeah. Obviously, that's you know maybe not yet in Laos, but what are you yeah. seeing in that sort of startup ecosystem? Is it mainly driven by expats at the moment? Are there local players coming up? Yeah, maybe talk us through that as well. Yeah, um, there are a lot of um, lo more local players stepping up and starting up like different startup competitions. And but I feel like the startup ecosystem here is still very. Premature. It's not. It's not. It's not really gone to a space where, you know, there's a very uh, big and exciting and passionate startup community yet, which is what I'm trying to build as well. Uh, part of what I want to do, and we are starting. We are creating, um, running this TechStar Startup Weekend in July. So uh, that's was one of my. That's one of my passions as well. I really want to cultivate and nurture the, the startup system because I've been part of a, the startup community in Malaysia before, and they are amazing. And I think that I really want to start up something here that just, you know, a community that really just gets things done and things going um, here, just nurture people and, 
yeah, be welcoming of like aspiring entrepreneurs and things like that. So in the startup space, there's not a lot of investments, but there are people that are basically getting scouted by maybe startups in Thailand. So we are like the ripple effect. Like we are, we are, we are getting invested maybe from Thailand coming into Laos and like, uh, like the other day I just heard it that I think Lazada Shopee approached one of the startups here. They're doing something similar to them, but more local. We don't have Lazada here. We don't have Shopee here, but we do have our local version of it. And Thailand, because Thailand speaks a similar language, like we speak a similar language to Thailand. Thai and Laos is very, very similar. It's like Bahasa Malaysia and Bahasa Indonesia, mm-hmm. very, very similar in that front. And I think that's where a lot of the investments and uh, a lot of the attention is coming from Thailand and China. So we do get some, uh, you know, some 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 uh, attention and some interest from them, and Korea as well. But it's still very very early stage. It really really is early stage, and I think a lot more is happening in the agri tech uh, sector. Mm. Uh, but it's not really often talked about or publicized because you know it's it's not really a glamorous, not a sexy know, industry. Yeah, it's not a sexy. <laughs> yeah, it's not a sexy industry. Like you know, <laughs> so yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, I guess for yourself. Um... In terms of coming back to Laos and obviously doing what you do, um, yeah. are there many other people that have done similar things to you? Like, you know, maybe born overseas and of Laos background and then have come back? Or is that not, not that many people? Yeah, to be honest, it's not many people. Um, there are some people that choose to come back. But, you know, why, why would you want to trade such a good pay, you know, to come back here where you're going to start from scratch? I think entrepreneurship is not really for everyone i don't say in a condescending way but it it really is difficult right and especially when you come here the culture is different the work ethic is different um starting a business is difficult and you have all these different things that you would have to kind of balance and navigate through like you know paying taxes and things like that it really is an unfamiliar territory so i think um people do shy away a little bit from that but it's always an interest there's always like Hey, you know, what, what can I start in Laos? Like, what, what can I do? Is there an opportunity there? So they're always like, kind of looking, but at the same time, they don't want to give up, which is mm-hmm. fair. Like, they don't want to give up what they have um, abroad. And that's, that's very fair. And a lot of people, they have, especially those who have big ambitions, that Laos would be maybe on the back burner. There will be a second option for them. So they would want to be interested in what is doing here. They would probably sometimes invest into something that's happening here already. But I don't have a lot of people or friends that really want to start something, create something, because it just takes a long time mm-hmm. to, you know, you're, you're burning through cash. Yeah, it's just you're, you're pioneering. That's the thing, right? You're sticking a flag and it's really for the long term thing. So unless you have an infinite amount of like burn, uh, cash to burn and like, you know, just uh, the ability to just hold it on for the long run and long term, and especially for young people like us, like you want instant, like you want, you know, fast, it's just get popular really fast. And in Laos, there, there is a certain level of uh, acceptance for that. There's a certain level of like, you know, you can, get, you can scale up really fast. But at the same time, like, it's really a place that you got to keep in your mind, like, it's for a long term. Like, you're sticking mm-hmm. a flag for the next five years, so to speak. And, but you'll be the first mover. Uh, you have the first mover privilege. But it just takes a longer time, you know? I'm guessing yeah. your advantage would have been, I guess, you were sort of between countries as well. That would, I guess that could use some foundation within the country. Whereas if you were born in, say, yeah. Australia and decided to come back, would obviously be a very more difficult barrier yeah, unless unless maybe maybe you really want to change uh of pace in life you mm. you really want to turn over a new leaf like my business partner for example he came to laos maybe like eight years ago uh mm. and then he fell in love with the country because he just loves he was just sitting by the river having you know a bottle of beer and he just loved it you know he just loved the, the whole lifestyle here and that that really ultimately decide making decided like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna stay here i'm gonna live here 
regards to your background as well. So half Lao, half Chinese, Malaysian, so forth. Yeah. Like in terms of your upbringing and growing up, um, you know, with that background, was there any specific challenges that you recall or like you think, like obviously I see that as a very positive um, thing now as, a, as an adult, but, you know, obviously growing up, I don't know if, you know, was there any discrimination or, you know, struggles from that from that perspective or do you have a pretty decent childhood you reckon yeah i mean you know it's, it's a very typical thing of um third culture kids right where you don't re- you're malaysian but you're not really malaysian you're allowed but you're not very allowed you know in malaysia you they would say like they, they won't refer to me as the malaysian they'll refer to me as oh the lao boy you know mm. <laughs> the malaysian lao boy <laughs> and, and laos you're not really fully lao you're like oh the malaysian guy you know so you kind of caught in between two cultures which really worked to my benefit because then I was able to bring in both mm. strengths to, to the, to the equation. And like, really, that really was like a strength for me, but growing up, it was, it wasn't that difficult in a sense where, you know, I was, uh, I was surrounded, um, you know, thankfully by really pleasant people and really supportive people. Malaysians are, are, are really friendly and nice, uh, thankfully. Then, and also Lao people are really chilled and they're very, very nice. So I, I didn't have a very, too difficult of a time just adapting to the new culture here when I got back. I, I guess language is very difficult because my mom do speak to me in Lao uh, as we're growing up, but to have a conversation and do business in Lao is a whole different thing. So when I first came to Laos, it, it, it was really difficult. Like I, I spoke to my uh, my cousins in English, you know, like I, 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 I spoke to my staff in English and when I tried to speak in Lao, they would laugh at me because it's like, <laughs> they don't understand what I'm saying, you know? Yeah. So it, it's, yeah, it's growing up was, was, was fun in a way that we get to experience both sides of the culture. And, and I guess our feet are always grounded. Like we, mm. even though when, when we do get, you know, my dad, uh, when, when my dad gets like huge projects and our family gets to enjoy vacations and things like that, we, we still have in our heart and mind that, you know, we know where we came from. Like we, we're not gonna think that we're too, we're too good or we're better than Lao or you know mm. we're better than the yeah. So we were, we're, we're grounded in that sense because we see the perspective of both sides of the world. Even though we're in Southeast Asia, we see the uh, two, stre- two two spectrums of like you know a city and and, and Laos, which is a developing country. So okay. yeah, mm, yeah. In terms of um, you, you mentioned that you spoke English to your staff and so forth. Can you get away with that in Laos at the moment? Like not being able to communicate. Or do you have to be like more like what you're doing, like an entrepreneur with a bit, you know, a bit of capital and you know, creating jobs and businesses? Like, how, how like would you be able to get away not speaking loud, or is it quite difficult? Yeah, I think that a lot of the younger uh, generation, the, the youths here, are more are able to speak loud uh, English and Chinese as well. A lot, mm. a lot of them, like, like uh, quite quite a big a number of them, are able to speak English and and uh, and Chinese, which is great. Like this, this just. The whole, how the world is with social media and things like that. So it's great. Um, but doing business, I think especially if you're dealing with the government and dealing with um, the local authorities here, Lao is still predominantly the, the biggest uh, language, but they're still very forgiving. Like Lao people are really nice. They're mm-hmm. on the roads, on the roads, they don't honk. They don't, they don't, they don't honk at you. You know, like even, even if you get in trouble uh, with the police or roadblock, if you speak English, generally they're they nice, that they're understanding. And um, it, yeah, so I think English, yeah, for most of the staff, speaking English is very difficult. If you can speak the local language, even if you try, mm, there's, there's an effort yeah. on your part, they'll, they'll be happy. Like, they'll, they'll be really supportive and, like, really encouraging of you. But, but yeah, I mean, the amount of times that I messed up in my communication is just yeah, it's crazy. I can't, I don't know how to translate some of these business terms and stuff. So, I yeah. thankfully, I have some uh, you know, staff and people 
uh, that we employ that, that knows how to speak both languages. Mm. So it's not that difficult. Yeah. But yeah, it was tough. I, I had to step up. I had to learn how to, to speak so that I can better mobilize the team and encourage them and say what I want to say. Because yeah, yeah it, it just it's difficult not having communication, uh, you know, in the business. So mm. yeah, I'm, I'm glad I was able to have learned a bit about that when I was yeah. younger. Gotcha. And I, just, I want to, in terms of the country itself, so we've talked a lot, obviously a lot about the positives and we've touched yeah. upon some of the negatives, obviously as a landlocked country of 7 million people, you yeah. know, small people, um, obviously um, education still needs to be improved um, and so forth. What, what do you think the major challenges are for Laos, you know, in the next, you know, 10 years to really try to solidify itself as, you know, a, a destinational place? Yeah. Um, you mean for startups? Uh, or you mean oh, for like, yeah, uh, for more, yeah, more from the business perspective. Yeah. For the business, I think, um, Sean, like, um, you know, in Malaysia and Thailand, you you would be able to start and create a business in base. You know, you'd be able to register business really, really, really easily. But in Laos, there's still a great area. There's a lot of things that's uncertain. Um, the business infrastructure to start an SME here or to start a business here is really still, it takes too long. So, you know, it, it, it is it is in the, in the stats and in the... Um, uh, the report that you can find online that Laos still is one of the places that takes a bit too long to start a business. So yeah, I mean, really, like we, we need to have better policies to accommodate more businesses and to to be more encouraging of like other foreign businesses opening up in the country. I think that is the the way to go moving forward. Um, the infrastructure. Um, I think in terms of mobility and just the connections that we have, especially the new railway station, um, if you're looking into the trade sector, I think that poses a lot of opportunities. But I think the transportation, even in the city, like we, to get around, yes, you can get around through, uh, you know, like around with a bus, but typically to get around, if you have a motorcycle, uh, it's a lot better. It's just similar like to Vietnam and Thailand. Having motorcycle is really just how a lot of people and most of the people get around here. And there is something like Uber or Grab, um, a local version of Uber, uh, of Grab. But um, yeah, it's it's really difficult. And because you're reliant on oil and gas uh, from neighboring countries, it's a lot difficult to to kind of, you know, the price is a lot higher. Like I just checked the other day and because of how the inflation is right now, we are paying three times more uh, for a liter of um, petrol than we, we do in Malaysia. Like Malaysia still gets wow. really cheap here. We pay up three times the amount. Like you can imagine like, you know, a developing country, people who relies on it um, to get around, they're paying a lot more. And, mm. um, you know, it's not necessarily the, the, the best spot to be in as to grow, to grow the economy. And uh, I think for expats, um, you can get really good accommodations with gym, security and all of that, the swimming pool for very much, you know, $300 and get a very good place in Bangkok. But I find that here for $300, you don't really have a lot of facilities and accommodations that I think expats would feel comfortable or in um, if you're okay with the very, very minimal stuff. So I think that's the challenges that we would need to, 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 to really tackle and go into, you know, but that also presents opportunity. Like, for example, okay, we need to start looking more into like electric vehicles, electric EVs, things like that. So there is opportunities there. But um, yeah, mainly that's, that's the main um, challenges that I foresee. Yeah. There's one, there's one question actually I, I asked some other guests as well, like from Myanmar and, you know, Cambodia and Philippines yeah. and so forth. In terms of, um, say you are an expat, you're coming there for like um, a nightlife, whatever it is. Is there much of like a scene? Like are the people eating out at restaurants all the time? Is it like a Thailand where things are you know buzzing or like yeah. is it pretty quiet? Do people just go home after work sort of thing? What's the culture like? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, surprisingly, Sean, like um, years ago, when I first came in the country, it, there wasn't too much of like, the eating out culture. There wasn't much of like cafe hopping. I mean, cafe, honestly, cafes and bars 
only just took off maybe two years ago, mm. uh, just before COVID, and then COVID happened, which is sad, <laughs> which is crazy. But but yeah, like like cafe culture maybe just came in four years ago, and bar culture maybe just like two years, three years okay. ago. Yeah, so it, it really is. You know, people are starting to, especially younger ones. Like you, mm. if you go out to the night markets, um, you know, just for street food or for the cafes. Most of the people that you'll see there are young people, and they are, you know, the people that will see things on social media, on TikTok, on Instagram. And they're like, "Oh, I want to be part of that culture," you know. And so that is it's growing this uh, new, uh, you know, this new population of people who are eating out, going for coffees that are a bit more expensive than the local ones, uh, going for Starbucks, for movies, things like that. So it's okay. good to see, and it's mm. more it's mostly driven by the young people. So mm. but there is enormous potential there, but you know, Korean food. For example, mm. like years ago, when I first came in uh, to Laos, Korean barbecue restaurants it was empty. It was like mm. occupied twenty percent, and that is mostly by expats and Koreans. Mm. But now, when you go into when now when I try to go into a Korean restaurant, it's all packed out. I can't even find a table for myself, and that is just within the, the span of like you know three years. Mm. So you can imagine like the potential in that. Like people are starting to pick up trends. Mm. People are starting to pick up like you know Korean dramas and things like that. So. There is a growing, um, yeah, desire and uh, um, consumption of all these things, and uh, yeah, years back then, eating on the weekends, eating out on the weekends is just is empty. Like that's why my restaurants, my my restaurant, like on the weekends is empty. Like wow. weekend, like Saturday nights, um, Sunday nights, it's empty because no one just eats out on the weekends. They just mm-hmm. mainly just buy food, cook at home. But now it's just it's just changing the whole landscape of like um, you know the the consumer market is just changing. Mm, wow, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, just yeah. how quickly things can change, and obviously yeah. the power of social media, and you know, K K yeah, power, K pop power, yeah. <laughs> Korean yeah, soft absolutely. power. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, pretty in- pretty insane. Um, yeah. just in terms of your like day to day life, and you know, people you hang around with, like, um, is it like mostly expats? Is it a mix of locals, family? Like, how, how, what's your sort of day to day look like? Yeah, um, it's not too difficult to get around town. Um, so my group of friends, yeah, they're a mix of expats and uh, uh, and locals as well. Uh, the, the locals uh, that that I that, that I have in a certain so we I a part of my business I also volunteer and uh, in this organization called the Global Shapers. So we volunteer, we do some impact projects here in the city. So my uh, my, my weekends are you know when I when I get to hang out, I like to hang out around these people because. You know they 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 want to see change. They wanna they wanna create positive impact here. So I do enjoy hanging out with them, have coffee, and just talk about you know some of the things, catching up with them, how they're doing, and a lot of them are like you know uh, just got married, starting families, things like that. So it's really nice to see. It's more chill. It's more laid back. But thankfully, unlike in Australia where you have to drive like you know several mm-hmm. kilometers, here it's a lot easier to get by to get coffee to get breakfast together. So yeah, I, I do hang out a lot of a lot with um, mostly expats mainly because of the language yeah so i feel more comfortable you know in english so we do hang out sometimes catch a movie play board games uh there's not too many other places to explore not like you know what you get in kl and bangkok where there's always a, a new bar a new cafe to explore here is really like the they are the, the few, first the, the few ones that are really good and just you know go there um habitually Mm, gotcha. Yeah. And your thoughts on going back to Malaysia? Like, what are your thoughts, Malaysia? Now, you know, sort of, do you f- go between the two? Like, do you will you go back at all? Like, permanently? Like, what are your thoughts? Like, just in general. Yeah, f- funnily enough, like I think when the last time when I went back to Malaysia, I I kind of got like a reverse culture shock. <laughs> but yeah, I think that maybe I got so accustomed to like the pace of life here in Laos that when I went to KL, I love it as a tourist. 
but I hate it when I have to think about working there. And I'm not sure if that, that's a bad thing, but when I see my friends, you know, working from nine to six, sometimes eight or, you know, nine, you know, just, just crazy hours. That's just like so unnatural to me. And that's just really, really just shocking. to me. not shocking, but like, it feels, even though I know of that, but it just feels like it's maybe not something that I, I was willing to be a part of and, uh, you know, move back to Malaysia, but the opportunities are there, of course, uh, but moving back, probably not in the meantime, but as a tourist or maybe as just like a fly-in to do business kind of thing, business few days and then head back to Laos. That is more, maybe something that I'm more uh, comfortable with in the moment. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's, that's, I guess, mainly the, mainly how I feel about going mm. back to Malaysia. But is, as is a tourist, any, it's great. Yeah. Is yeah. there any reason why you um, didn't go overseas like many of your other <laughs> compatriots, like overseas to study in like Australia or UK or US? Is there... Is there a reason why you didn't consider that, or is it just just your just the path you took? I guess. Yeah, I think it's just the path I took. Um, I think at that time I was uh, I'm, I'm like the eldest among my my siblings, and mm. I think that at that time I was I think being considered a bit about about okay my parents finances and things like that. It's not like mm. we're really well off, mm. um, and also I thought okay Malaysia I'm gonna have some good friends there, and uh, I've been wanting to to move back there because I kind of feel like I didn't get to grow up my friends when I was moved back abruptly uh, mm. when I was 16. I miss my friends and I really want to do something there and just be a part of the whole thing. Uh, and because back then you don't, we don't really have like, Instagram wasn't a, a big thing yet and things like that. So the only connection was uh, with the outside world was like mainly with my friends in, in Malaysia. So uh, yeah, this, this that was why I kind of thought, hey, let's, let's head back there and, and just try to yeah, resume life back there again, I guess. But my, my, my siblings, uh, they end up going to Australia. My sister's in Melbourne and my brother's okay. in Perth. So they are, yeah, they are, they are living life. They love it there. And uh, they are, yeah, they are the base there. <laughs> Sean, yeah. are you, are you from, uh, are you from Melbourne or are you from uh, Sydney? I'm, I'm, si- I'm in Sydney, been Sydney my okay, whole Sydney. Line, so. okay. <laughs> okay, okay, great. But yeah, if you ever, if you ever, th- uh, you ever in Sydney later, let me know. Um, oh yeah, or, I would love to. Or, or if I'm in Laos. <laughs> you know, yeah, way, please, so. please do. Yeah, please do come back. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I think we'll start uh, wrapping up with a few questions now. Uh, I think we've almost hit the hour mark. So maybe to start off with, um, in terms of, you know, your entrepreneurial journey, we've already discussed that, but in terms of advice for other aspiring entrepreneurs, maybe they're still in university or thinking about it. What's your advice to to those people? Yeah. Um, my advice, um, would just be like to, to fail fast and to fail often. Mm. Um, you know, John C. Maxwell, one of the leadership gurus we we all know. Um, he he puts it he puts it in his book called Failing Forward. Um, yeah, feel fast and feel often because I think a lot of it really teach, teaches you life skills that you really not get anywhere else. And I think that's why I learned when when I failed my first business, so to speak, I like failed my first business. And I had to close it down prematurely. Um, that that taught me a lot. And I think especially when we're young, just do whatever you know. Like if you want to start a cafe selling nfts and pokemon cards do it you know like that, that, that shouldn't be anything that you know if you're thinking about like oh i don't want to fail like newsflash you're gonna fail like there's gonna be a point in your life where you have to fail and i think that the sooner you fail and the faster you fail and the more oftentimes you fail i think that really um really just molds you to be a more robust entrepreneur and i think that a lot of us as we go into this entrepreneurship thing we, we really want to create the best environment and make sure that we have a clean record and as an entrepreneur, like I think that that's really like not a right mindset to go into. Like I think that 
as an entrepreneur, whenever you start something, even though it's your really like the, your brainchild, something that you create with your love and passion, your heart, always keep in mind that you're, you're only going to be taking care of it for a season. Why I say that? Because people change and uh, economies change and the world and the trends change. And I think the sooner you have the idea that everything you hold and everything you're stewarding is really for a season or for a time, the less you're going to have this expectation of, I've got to get everything perfect and right. Because when you start having that mindset, it, it breeds arrogance and it breeds this whole wanting to control stuff, control people, control things. And you get a bit more of, uh, of an obsessive culture. So I think that really just having in mind that you're really just there to steward for a period of time. And in time, you're going to let it go. You're going to have an exit strategy or something like that. I think that really puts you in a good spot to be an entrepreneur because you are not your eyes are not just really on the ground you're walking, you're, you're also looking ahead to see what is next. Where, where is the next horizon? Where is the next peak? Where is the next journey that I'm on or embarked on? So yeah, feel fast, feel often. Like I, I lost friends doing MLM. And I think that, you know, in some ways that taught me life skills that I would have not gotten from a book. You know, I learned things being an insurance agent that it just taught me a lot of things. You know, it just taught me some traits that, really just built into me this uh, traits of an entrepreneur that I, I really wouldn't have gotten from a book, you know? So fail, like even if MLM, you want to try it out, try it. If you want to try crypto, you want to try Forex, I think just try it, especially when we have the luxury and the privilege of being, uh, of having our youth still, like just go for it. Just use your energy, dispense it because it will reward you back in, in many different ways. So yeah, use it. Yeah, that's well said. I think a lot of people go, especially... I mean, you were born in Asia, but I was saying people from Asian background, there's a lot of, um, yeah, you know, yeah. pressure from parents to sort of, you know, like go down the straight path, you know, become an yeah. accountant or um, don't take any risk, that sort of yeah. mindset. And um, it's very hard for people to break out of that mindset, I think, especially when you've been raised like that. I think, yeah, um, yeah it takes a bit of energy and patience and obviously, you know, a lot of yeah. failures to, to reach a point where you, you do feel comfortable with all that. And it's very difficult. Um, and yeah, it's um, no. I think you you said it. You summed it up pretty perfectly, and it sh sort of shows you how much experience you've had in entrepreneurship. Being able to go on that little rant there, so <laughs> yeah, you had a podcast, right? Like I was thinking, like the way you speak, I, I really enjoy it. Like you had a, your own podcast at one point, right? Yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, I, it's called the Level Up Podcast. I, I do the same thing as you, Sean. I, mm -hmm. I basically interview um, and just speak to people um, here, mainly here, who are mm -hmm. you know from different walks of life. They have interesting life backstories and things like that. So I just interview them just to be inspired. It's more for me than the audience because I want to hear <laughs> what the story is and what the journey is. And I think the more I study like successful people, the more I learn from them. And I and I mm. and I feel like that does help me a lot. So yeah, what you're doing is just amazing. And I'm learning a lot from you and and, and from your guest speakers um, that you put on your podcast. So thanks for so much for what you're doing, man. No, no, good. No, no, it's bored. I think <laughs> I thank the guests, not me. <laughs> so, uh, um. Yeah. In terms of your future plans, I know we sort of talked about, you know, future plans for your own business and so forth, but how about personally in terms of your own goals and where you want to be and so forth? Like, have you, are you pretty happy where you are? There's certain things you still want to achieve. Yeah. Maybe talk us, talk us through that. Yeah. Um, so I feel that as much as I'm enjoying my business and doing my business here in Laos, um, there is a part of me that feels that I, I need to level up. I need to, to go, um, to expand. I mean, maybe not in a way that, because my my goal is it, still back to that story that I shared initially, right? When I was younger, when I had this uh, experience seeing the poor and just having this first ex experience, just like encountering people who are poor and with, with really just no clothes in the back and that really just breaks my heart. So 
I feel that I, I really want to go into the investment space or a VC space. I think that's really where I want to go, not just to invest into startups, but invest into people, invest into um, businesses that are not really you know, glamorous and sexy, like what you said. Like It really is businesses that are not sexy, but it pays the, it pays the bills for people mm-hmm. here. It's the trade, you know, like, for example, making salt, you know, in, in, in the north of Laos where no one really invests into it anymore. No one really wants to do it because it's tedious. And at the same time, like, you know, uh, people just don't find it sexy and just don't find it really lucrative. So they they stop. And, and you know, there's a story of this guy who is a family-run business. He used to have a very big um, salt processing plant. And then after a while, it's just, you know, people just stopped coming to work. But at the end of the day, what, what happened, what ended up happening was that he he has to be the one, you know, doing the salt until like late night just to provide for his family. And I just love stories like this because, it, you know, this salt making facility is, is, is heritage. It's like a local heritage, so to speak. Like no one makes salt that way anymore. And I feel like I really want to invest into these things. And we just want to put the money with these people so that we can preserve some of this mm-hmm. culture. We can preserve some of this, um, you know, work and businesses that maybe a lot of VCs and a lot of other firms are not looking into because it's not the next new thing or next tech thing. But for developing countries like Laos, we need that. Like that is the mm-hmm. backbone of the economy, and I really want to be able to grow myself one day to be able to provide investment and invest not just only in Laos, but I think my calling, if you can call it that, like is really towards like Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. with Laos really being uh, also a focal point. But um, yeah, I really want to. Really, really look for these gems in in these communities, in these cities, and just invest and just really provide a means to give platforms for young people to be able to uh, yeah rise rise to the occasion and just provide innovative solutions that really change the landscape of how things are done here and uh, in Southeast Asia. So yeah, I think my heart is still with Southeast Asia, but whether it means for me to be you know based in America or something to get funds because there's no way I'm gonna be able to raise billions like being here in Laos, like <laughs> it's just gonna raise so many questions. Um, but yeah, so I'm not sure. I'm still charting my path to be honest with you, Sean, and I'm still navigating my way around it, but um, I'm still looking for, okay, where, where, where do I go from here, you know? Mm. So uh, yeah. No, that's amazing. I think you're you're on the right path. I think you've already, you know, through your story so far that you've, you know, shown a lot of determination, you know, a lot of failures in the way, but, you know, you sort <laughs> of, I think you have that right mindset and personality and so forth to, you know, to really make a contribution um, back to the country, I guess, and really help people. So now just love, love your story. I think hopefully it gives other people inspiration to do things similar, right? Like I feel like a lot of people get caught up in, you know, the lifestyle of, you know, um, I wouldn't call it selfish, but, you know, sort of going down a very simple, well, and again, it's not wrong to do it as well, but yeah, you know, yeah, it's a very standard path of, you know, uh, mortgage, kids, yep, and then yep. that's it. You, you sort of stuck working for the next 40 years because you can't take risk, right? <laughs> like, it, I mean, I don't blame them. Like, you can obviously do a lot of good things on the side as well, but um, obviously you can't put that full attention as well. So it's obviously yeah. great to meet people like you who are, you know, trying to make a difference. And you know, I think it makes the world a better place and hopefully these stories get promoted more and more people will oh, sort of do similar things. And I say, yeah, love, love the story. So, yeah. um, and maybe just to wrap up, like, uh, where can people reach out to you? Where can people find out more about you and yeah. What are you open to if people want to contact you and so forth? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I guess you'll be putting my profile on your uh, description or something like that. You can find me on LinkedIn, but you can also look for me on Instagram, uh, Benjamin Sue, uh, my, my, my name. And then, um, yeah, what else? Yeah, I don't have a blog, but I have my company website, I guess, <laughs> if, if you're ever in Laos or you're looking. But, you know, for all the guests or you know, if you're ever in Laos, you're just you know, looking to hang out or chill. Yeah, just please contact me. Like, please reach out to me on LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook. I'm really, really happy to get connected. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, you don't really get a lot of guests 
uh, that I know of that's coming into Laos for our business. So if you're ever looking to the country, you want to expand, uh, please do reach out to me and happy to have a conversation with you, even if it's just for a coffee. Yeah, mm. happy to have a conversation with you. Okay, great. No, no, really yeah. appreciate this uh, conversation, Ben. Wish you all the best, obviously, for the future. I think you're going to smash yeah. it out of the park. Um, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you don't end up in like a newspaper in a couple of years, like you're in jail or something. So I'll have to delete this episode. But no, oh, <laughs> no, 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 all good. No, thanks, uh, no, no, really appreciate the conversation today. And yeah, wish you all the best. Yeah, thank you. Thank you really so much. Yeah, thanks. Like, it really is uh, being an honor and privilege uh, just having this conversation with you, Sean. Thanks so much for what you're doing. Yeah. Cheers, mate. Yeah, have a good one. Yeah. Hi, guys. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Feel free to listen to the other clips and episodes on the channel. And remember to subscribe and follow. 